Patrick McDaniel from Fangraphs.com, and on the other line, he's not completely sure where Juco is anymore. It's Eric Longenhagen. Hello, everybody. If uh, if you don't understand that, which I believe probably about 50 people do, um, it's a reference to the Fangraphs Live event, which was not recorded, and you will never know what that joke means unless you ask the right people. Uh, on to more mainstream topics. Uh, this is a podcast to review what happened at the Futures game, which was the next day. Uh, this will be Sunday. This is probably going to go up on the Thursday after, I'm guessing. Um, today, Wednesday, the day we're recording, I posted the video of what uh, we thought was the most interesting pitch uh, from all the high speed that we got of all of the pitches of the Futures game, which was Grayson Rodriguez of the Orioles throwing what appeared to be a screwball, which we didn't know that he threw, or at the very least, we didn't know it looked like that, if it was the more conventionally called changeup. Uh, but because we didn't write an article after the Futures game but had some thoughts, uh, I would say well over half the players, like nothing like materially materially different will change about their grades or rating or whatever. There's a number of guys where just like there were some guys in BP that stood out, some guys in infield looked a little bit different, a couple guys threw a little bit harder or they literally looked a little different than we thought. Enough that it may be worth mentioning these things. And we may write like a short Instagraph with some of these like, um, you know, interesting high-speed videos or maybe just taking some of the content from this and putting it into an article. So if people want to read it, they can read it. But it felt for the diehards that want to know like all of our various thoughts in the Futures game, especially if you know your team had one player and you want to see what we say about them, this is for those people. I think what people are about to listen to is just what uh, the, the phone call you and I would have had about this stuff anyway. Like, Yeah, we've joked about it was certain conversations reported. we have, this should be a podcast, and this is actually one of them. I guess we'll see if we actually <laughs> end up publishing it, but our plan is to publish this. Just to get a couple things out of the way uh, before we dive into like all of the Futures game minutia is the trade value list, which you have passed around baseball and now to the Fangraphs staff for feedback. Um, at some point, like we're, I don't think we should talk about this in depth because it'll spoil things, but like, you're writing the the pre-deadline trade value list, which will go up on the site, uh, I don't know, in the next couple days, weeks? Like, what's the timeline on that? Yeah, Monday? Monday, Monday the 15th. So this is sort of the, the, the week to clean it up. All right. So, uh, and of course, because of, like, some of the players on the list are prospects. Uh, what, who, who all on the list is a prospect and how, and like, should it inform the way guys are lined up on our board? And if so, what are some potential changes that we should make based on feedback you have? So the, I mean, this may be easy to guess um, for readers slash listeners. The highest prospect in the trade value rankings is Wander Franco. And I believe last year it was only Tatis and Guerrero. So basically it's if you're a 70, you're on there. And if you're not, you probably just miss. Um, and that's basically what it looks like this year. That um, every the that group of players just behind Franco, Royce Lewis, Horst Whitley, Bo Bichette, Adele, um, Hira, Mize, Gore, uh, some guys that have just graduated, like Austin Riley, I guess the guy in the big leagues, Brendan McKay. Like, you can kind of take all of those guys and say, all right, they go anywhere from 40 to 80, depending on how you want to weigh it and exactly where these guys land. I don't think any of those guys are on the top 50 other than Franco. I think they're all, like, in the 50 to 80 area. So they'll probably be their own group of the honorable mention. Maybe one of them slides on. I believe Kyle Tucker was number 50 last year. Like, he was the one that slid on because mm-hmm. it looked like he was about to come up and be like a six-hit, six-power right fielder, which I guess he still may be, but now that looks a little less likely than it did at this time last year. Um, and another guy that was in the running, like, you know, Bo Bichette or Joe Adele or Whitley or um, Wander Franco even, uh, might have made a little more sense, but also, like, you know, sometimes players 
don't improve in the way we think they will. And, it, you know, that captured that moment in time correctly, which I think was right after he was called up. So you thought he might come up and do what some of these guys, uh, you know, recently with Riley or whoever, where there were, you know, some contact concerns and then he's just gone nuts. So never quite know how that goes. Um, but yeah, I would say Franco a clear number one, which is what we already have. Everyone is a tier beneath him as far as future values. And then there is a way to jumble everything right behind him. And I think we have the right names in terms of like the top 20 probably has the right names on it. Mm-hmm. But you could argue some guys that we have more 15 to 20 should be more like 6 to 8, which I don't think is unusual at this time of year that some of the some of the, you know, back of the top 10 types maybe have been passed by a couple other guys in the season. Right, like we don't I don't want to be overly reactionary to stuff that has happened so far this season to like aggressively move around a bunch of these guys. I think the only thing that is interesting uh, about the way this is lined up is that like Mackenzie Gore at 51, uh, as I'm looking at the list right now, and then about uh, 15, 20 spots behind are both Forrest Whitley and Casey Mize. Um, And I think that we could, there are ways for arguing for uh, ordering those guys in different ways. Like of that group, of that group, which of those three would you least be surprised in three years to see like just overpowering hitters in an almost superhuman way? Like the way we see DeGrom do it sometimes, the way we see Noah Syndergaard do it sometimes, like Pedro Martinez type, Scherzer type stuff. Uh, who from the Gore, Whitley, Mize group do you think is most likely to be that guy? Like I think it's Whitley. Yeah, I think if you're, I mean, it's obviously easy to sort of do the recency bias and say that because, you know, Whitley's haven't had some issues this spring, you kind of forget when he was in the fall league. I mean, obviously you don't since you were there, but some people forget like, oh, like the first outing in the fall league, everyone's like, oh my God, why is this guy not the number one prospect in baseball? And you're like, oh, Vlad and Tatis and Franco and whatever, and he's a pitcher still. And obviously, like, I guess the spring, we're seeing what happens when, you know, things don't go perfectly for a pitcher. It's like, oh, what's going on? Like, his numbers aren't great. He's been hurt. And you know, suspension right. and like all these things are sort of stacking up. But when you look at like the list of things you want, which is like, you know, big and durable and throws hard and multiple plus off speed pitches and throws strikes and has performed and like he does all those things. I think Mize, when he was an amateur, like we obviously covered some of the durability concerns, which I think he'll land up somewhere in that Aaron Nola area where it's not like he's hurt all the time. It's just like, oh, he might not be 200 innings 10 years in a row, which obviously very few guys are anyway, but he's in the rarefied air. Or if you know he's not going to be that guy durability-wise, then that becomes an issue. And he may age a little more quickly, where at 28, he'll look like he's 32. Which, again, it's a pretty fine line, but it's important to note. And Gore is not really, I think, the overpowering type. Like, he might have a lot of strikeouts, but it's not like he's going to be throwing 97 and guys can't touch it and everything's plus and darting all over the place. Like, he's not really that that DeGrom type guy, but I could see him... You know, like Cole Hamels, I guess, was never really seen as the blowing guys away. But there was like a nice, what, like five, seven year run there where he was, you know, arguably one of the best pitchers in baseball. I think, I think Gore could obviously do that. Right. Gore is, so like if the, the uncomfortable at bat with monster stuff is your type, then like Whitley is ahead at the top of this group. You could argue Gore Pierce has, is number two, if that's what, the only thing you're right. looking for. Gore, uh, right, because it's not as if Pearson has proven it over the course of, like we, we point, you and I point at Nate Pearson and say, this guy's been hurt. He hasn't shown what he can do 
with a starter's workload week to week, let alone over the course of an entire season. They're going to kind of take the leash off of him, it sounds like, the second half of this year and kind of see. So like, we'll see what happens to his stuff now that he's going to be treated more like a workhorse starter, um, we, like start to start. Uh, but like Gore has not had the injury issues that Mize and Whitley have had. This is twice now with Mize. Okay, so there was there were problems in college when he was an underclass, uh, and now it's a shoulder thing. So like now it's multiple things. The latest one's a shoulder, um, and now Whitley has had two years of hey this guy hasn't really pitched very much uh, for different reasons, but like he hasn't pitched a whole lot, and so. You could argue it's not fair that we point to Pearson and and have him ranked at a place uh, because of this problem when these two have have also kind of had that problem, uh, and yet it hasn't affected the way that we've lined them up. But I think just you, you the could depth, also, you could also argue repertoire that, depth for those two guys is is much better than Pearson's. Yeah, and you could also argue that while Pearson hasn't had like the bulk of innings to prove that he can throw this hard and stay healthy, etc., his injury was when he got hit by line drive. It wasn't like his arm can't handle right. this velo. Although we don't anticipate he's going to sit 99 for the next 15 years and never have an arm injury. Like one of those two will give at some point. We don't know when or how bad or how often or whatever, but like there is not a track record of any human ever being able to do that. And the most recent other example, like Hunter Green, looked like, oh, he might be that guy, and then you know he blew out. So it's like, you know, right. something, something needs to change, whereas Whitley, it seems like, is just below that velocity range where it's like, oh, something's going to happen. So, yes, I but I agree with you on Gore. Like, Gore, and you saw it during the Futures game, too. He's never been the one-inning showcase type. His... Abilities shine over six, seven innings, multiple starts where you can see all of the different things that he does, the athleticism, the command. Um, the you know, We've talked, he was in the, the Kershaw fastball piece, like this guy's, uh, this guy's fastball plays up because of other traits beyond velocity like this. And when you're watching the Futures game uh, and the All-Star game, really, watch the starters in the all-star game and then watch the relievers in the all-star game. Like look at what the bodies look like. Look how the athleticism is different between Brad hand and guys like Jake DeGrom. Like you can kind of see the Mackenzie Gore types are the, that's what the starters look like. And like Casey Mize's delivery is just more like what the relievers look like. Like it is just not as athletic and fluid and, um, not that like I think Mize is going to be a reliever, but there's just when you're lining these guys up, these are things that we are talking about. These are things that we're thinking about. So like I just all I'm saying is I think you can make a case that any one of these three guys for different reasons is like the top pitching prospect in baseball. But then also given like sort of the you know the research and, and whatnot about pitcher attrition, even if one is clearly the best, which I don't think one is clearly the best, you would argue you could argue that none of them should be like in the top five just given what happens with pitchers sure. and how they all kind of have, there's not yeah. like anytime I see something that is regarded as like, Oh, this guy is a perfect pitching prospect at this stage. It's like, Oh, just wait a few months. He'll, he'll, he'll be not perfect. Like just like, even like, I think we talked a little bit about Mick Abel being like, Oh, he might be the next, you know, uh, high school righty, the 2020 um, high school righty from Oregon. He could be the one that goes one, one. And then I saw him two weeks later and his velo's down a couple ticks, which obviously not that big of a deal for a high school kid that's like 17, like a year out from the draft, but it's like once everyone's like, oh, it might be three pluses, it's a great delivery in a body, and he hasn't been overused, and then I see him like 90 to 94, and it's like, oh, okay, that's, you know, that's pretty good. Like, I wouldn't say that if that was all I knew. Um, so, yeah, just give these guys a chance, and you'll find some holes to pick. Um, 
which, which I think is also the case with Pearson, where it's like, it wouldn't shock me if all of a sudden he's sitting 96, he gets shelled every three or four outings, and that's him trying to figure out how to be a 180-inning starter, and then all of a sudden the profile looks a little less interesting, because when he's going two innings at a time, you just imagine it will play exactly the same once he goes six innings at a time, and projects right. zero injuries. Like, yeah, it's like the backup quarterback. It's the most popular guy in town, because you, you saw him in that one preseason game tear it up. You're like, oh, that'll be like when he plays, like... It's like, no, it's usually a little bit different. Like, the game is not easy. Like, there's a reason that there's not 15 Nate Pearsons walking around, like, the way that you perceive him to be. Um, because right. it's, like, kind of impossible to find that guy. Um, yep. So you ready to jump into the Futures game stuff? All right, let's do it. All right, so we'll start with the AL, and we'll just go by uh, hitter position group and sort of talk about if anything sort of notably changed for us. So I've got my BP notes and my game notes in front of me. So we'll start with the AL catchers which is Ronaldo Hernandez of the Rays, Sam Huff of the Rangers, and Jake Rogers of the Tigers. Anything jump out from that group for you? Um, yeah, so Ronaldo Hernandez with the Rays, like it's, you know, plus-plus arm. Some of the other elements defensively are raw. He's converted infielder um, and then missed a year due to a severe uh, injury. Um, so he's like a little bit behind as as a receiver but um and like a ball blocker but that stuff should come bp to me he's always had sort of like it's a deep load uh the swing has always had a little bit more noise and funk to it but there's big power um so yeah i you know it's it's what it was last fall um and it's really interesting you just have to hope that as he continues to catch a lot that some of the defensive stuff continues to come along um there's one be and that pop up on 96 right um and that the the grind of catching does not dilute the power because some of the other offensive stuff is concerning like i think there will be swing and miss just because of the nature of the swing um, uh, the other guy jake rogers uh i think we had some concern that there wasn't quite enough sort of bat speed bat coverage or plate coverage to yeah. get to all the raw power or be more than like a four bat, but he is a catch and throw guy. It's a pretty good athlete, and I think I don't know. That, that's what I saw. I didn't I didn't see a dynamic offensive potential, but there's some raw power nope. and um, you know enough to hit mistakes. So I think there might be enough defense there that he'll be one of the top thirty catchers in baseball at some point. But I would comfortably say he's a good backup that will probably start for a little bit, which I think is what we had coming in. And right. then uh, Sam Hoff with the Rangers was the guy that we sort of tagged beforehand as, oh, this guy, because he's having such a big year, may be the guy to revisit that off of this game. We may move him a bit. And then he won the MVP and hit the only home run of the game. I believe it was 109 off the bat. And I thought yeah. it was pretty easy uh, plus power and BP, 64230. Um, so what was your – I mean, you've seen him more than I have. I think I just got him part of one game this year, and I just saw him at area codes before that. So you have more history with him than I do. Right. He's huge. Uh, it's he. What is he? Would you say he was listed at? Uh, listed at six four two thirty. Uh, yeah, that might be under what it really is. We also have him on the board as current seventy raw power and current twenty runner. So we right. we were aware of those two things. Yeah, this guy. Uh, like I saw Huffy in high school, and then he was a two year AZL guy. Uh, but hit for power both years, and he's raw defensively. He's just really huge, young dude. Um, he's 21. He crushed low A for a month, and they moved him up to high A. Uh, since then, hitting 263, 310, 440, 56 strikeouts in 194 at bats. If you don't think he can catch, even like while acknowledging that the power is is 
it is huge. It's the all fields. Like they're it's going to play in games. Uh, he's you know there's there's risk here uh, just because it's first base right right profile some swing and miss. So uh, we have him 35 plus on the board right now. Would you consider like I don't know like maybe he's a 40. Yeah, I think he's better than... I mean, I'm just looking at like other 35-pluses to sort of compare for context, and I think he's better than those guys, given that he's huge power and, and performing, um, and is 21. So, you know, if you threw him in the draft, I feel like he'd go pretty well. Probably not in the first 30 picks, but he'd go pretty well if that guy was in college putting up whatever the comparable numbers would be to crushing low A. Um, okay. But if this guy can't catch, like, then, you know... Like, Corey Lee uh, has some power and can catch and throw and was performing and went, what was it, in the 30s? The back of the first round, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, I feel like that's probably about his ceiling, because I think a lot of teams will look at him as a not especially athletic right-right first baseman with big power. You're mm-hmm. hoping he turns into a Pete Alonso type, but you realize that, you know, it could be C.J. Cron, um, who obviously went in the middle of the first round. So, I don't know, I'd say somewhere from 15 to 35, which is... Um, you know, anywhere from a forty to a forty-five, depending on where you think he goes. And I think that's on the high. Like, where did Davis Wenz, uh, Wenzel go? Uh, what did he? What was his bonus? He was. I think it was one point five. Uh, I want to say in the comp round. He was thirty-seventh. So, like, now we're talking about uh, risk if this guy goes to first base, but has power, like big body, non-zero chance he plays a better position. Um, like I'm just looking for cops who like Drew Mendoza, same type of thing, yep. huge power. Um, Mendoza was probably a first baseman, thirty six, right? So, um, so I don't know. Then now we're talking like these guys are forty, forty plus types, depending on if you like them. So yeah, so we should probably move Huffy up. Um, yeah, I would like I would take Corey Lee over him. Yeah, me too. Pretty comfortably. And like Toglia, what, we 40, like what do a, we do? Forty plus, we forty plus Lee. Forty plus Lee, yeah. Toglia is the first base forty plus, and I think he's got a better chance to hit with yeah switch like, hitter. Yeah, um, and then now I'm moving down trying to find like the hitter where I think he's this. For the listener, this is an example of what we do. We just sort of we're slotting guys like in a top one hundred or a guy that's new to a list. We just start moving up and down until we find like oh it's somewhere between those two guys. That's where we put him. So like Trajan Fletcher's no like it's not it's kind of a tools. Yeah, like the Dominic Fletcher, fifty-seven, might be one. Him and Brady McConnell, where there's like some defensive value, some hit, some power, but then some some hickeys, and that's like a high forty. Yeah, Jordan Brewer. Yeah, I think he's a high forty. And All then right, if so he keeps me... doing this the rest of the year, and maybe some of the catching reports come in a little bit better, then he'll probably sneak into the forty pluses. Forty but, plus, yeah. But I'd say a strong forty would be a good spot for him. Which I think is probably if you made us guess on that panel when we said he's probably going to move up, it's like all right, he's probably a forty. Depending on what we see, it'll either be a lower 40 or a higher 40. And I think we got a little, a little happier look than we may have expected. So he's a higher 40. All right. So on the Rangers list, I'm going to slide him up. Do you take him or the their second rounder, Ryan Garcia? I think I'd take the bat if they're both the same age. Garcia's had some stiffness. Isn't a, they are. He's a smaller righty. Do you take him or Eli White, 25? Uh, you know White a little better than I do, so you, you should probably speak to that one. Like the ceiling, the ceiling on Huffy's probably a little bit bigger. White is like a a, like a twenty-five. A sure, guy. yeah, he's a utility. Yeah, he's a utility type. Like he'll be a, a versatile bench type. All right, let's go up to like CD Pelham at twenty-five. If you're if you're a team that has CD Pelham and you're trying to like you know trade him to you know conserve forty-man space or whatever, like could you get Huff for him? I don't feel like you could. Maybe put him between Wenzel I think and you're in the right area. I think, yeah, putting him between Wenzel, Pell, and Alexi, like, in that area is the right move. All right, so that puts him 25th on the Rangers list. Okay. 
And behind Baron. Alright, were there any other... Because Baron Lore is like a comparable right. guy. But he's 16 and is comparable, so... Obviously gives him five years to sort of continue to perform. Um, yeah, so I'd say, all right, so that was the AL catchers. I think Huff moved, and the other two guys, Hernandez and Rogers, kind of stayed where they were. So let's move to the AL infielders. That group is Wander Franco, who we talked about a little bit of the Rays. Who I, I mean, we can do that one quickly. He looked about as good as I thought he would be. <laughs> about as good as yep, he looked, His BP was incredible. He had the best, among the best uh, defensive hands and actions during infield, which wasn't a great look at everybody. Uh, Madrigal was the only guy who I'd stick ahead of Franco as far as hands and actions goes. Maybe Evan White too, but like among the players where it's more relevant, um, uh, next, I, I, he was incredible. Next middle infielder was who we spoke of, Madrigal. Uh, he also looked about the way that I thought he would, um, and what I had seen in the past that he moved the needle for you at all. Uh, I don't think so. Where do we have his raw power graded? We've got. 45, do you think it's just a 4? Uh, yeah, I wrote down 45, maybe 50, but the 50 was like sort of projecting a bit because I, I didn't think he really impacted the ball that much in right. BP. Then let's leave it at 45. Um, uh, next middle infielder was Royce Lewis. Wait, <laughs> thoughts on batting practice? Keep your pants on. Yeah, batting practice is crazy. Let me pull up my spray chart. Um, but yeah, so his BP was, was goofy. Uh, there's more... Everyone is, has making been making a big deal about uh, Lewis's leg kick and some of the noise and stuff. It's not as loud and uh, obvious in games as it is during BP. I don't think it's a big deal. I guess you could see... I just think that there this is an individual who's going to make adjustments pretty consistently throughout his career. He'll have to, which is not great, but uh, I think he's able to. The fact that he's done it already is a positive sign. Uh, among his his BP group, so it was him, Jake Rogers, Daniel Johnson, and Jaron Duran. Like he was far and away the best one, and I think he had one of the best BPs overall from like a raw power perspective. As we continue to see him, what do you think of him at shortstop? For me, it's just a no. Yeah, I, like, I just think he'll end up in center field. I saw him a good bit in the Florida State League and had some guys telling me like. I think I told you this, that it's seen Jeter at the same stage. And they said, oh, this guy's a better athlete and is coming along and is further ahead defensively than Jeter was at the stage, which obviously to analytics-inclined people that saw Jeter later in his career, they kind of laughed. They're like, yeah, Jeter wasn't good either. Like, maybe that means this guy also isn't good, but in a similar way. And then when I sort of watched him a little more closely, I think I got three or four games, which, you know, still isn't like the great – if you're not getting infield, you're just getting three or four games. He only gets a couple balls that really test him. Um, it definitely looks like more of the athlete with good enough actions and good enough instincts as opposed to like a true shortstop. And so when you see that with a guy like C.J. Abrams out of the draft this year, you're like, oh, that's probably yeah. more center field because he's a big-time runner as opposed to second base where if he was a 50 runner, I think people would just put him at second and try to you know limit his exposure. And yeah, I, with Lewis, it does not look the way it's supposed to. And traditionally when a scout sees it not look the way it's supposed to, they say, oh, not a shortstop, and then oftentimes the sort of Johnny Peralta or the, you know, the sort of instincts over, um, instincts and actions over tools types, they, it'll, it'll turn out they'll earn their way there, but it, because it doesn't look like Ray Ordonez, they say no, but the reason that there is that rubric is that when it doesn't look like Ray Ordonez, that usually implies that there is, like, sort of something missing there in terms of um, the actions in the field and all that sort of stuff, and he is more mm-hmm. of an athlete than he is a true shortstop, and he's now 20 and if you're going to be one of the best players in baseball at 20 and play shortstop and be an average shortstop, like you're probably going to look like it, and it's still not clear. 
I wouldn't say he can't, um, but also I think these days when you're when you're dealing with projecting a shortstop, where it's like, oh, he has enough speed to play center, he could play second, he could play third, and then the question becomes, well, out of the nine best everyday options this team has, will they have one guy that is a better defensive shortstop than he is? And obviously with Polanco, like they do in Minnesota, so then it's like, all right, well now you shade him a little toward whatever the other answer is, or you know whatever position doesn't work for them. Um, so I would still leave him there and kind of see what happens and see if you can make the progress. But yeah, I think it's it's getting closer to you know sort of fifty fifty. Like, what where does he play the most games in his pro career? So this is he's Lewis is also also interesting. I'm gonna bump his future fielding. I'm gonna leave him at short on the board, but move him from a future fifty at short to a forty five. Are you gonna bump his raw power? Yes, we're bu- we're buffing it. Um, <laughs> it's present sixty for me with future sixty five. How do you feel about that? Yep, I wrote present sixty on my notes as well. Okay. Uh, he's also interesting to talk about the arm grade with some of the, the shit that Fernando Tatis has done in the big leagues right now. We've had people in like our Twitter, Twitter mentions asking like, uh, Hey, Tatis's arm is only a, was only like a six when you wrote it up, but he's throwing like balls harder across the infield than everybody else. Um, so at PG national, and I'll get back to this in a second, but at PG national, there was a, sh- a Puerto Rican shortstop named, uh, Sabin Ceballos, who threw a ball 99 across the diamond. And so when you max out, like, feel the ball clean, step into your throw, that guy's an 80. You could argue that Tatis, because his arm strength is playing all the time because of his athleticism, like, he makes strong throws from all kinds of different weird platforms like that we sh- you could argue we should factor that into the way we grade arms and that Tatis should be like a 7 or 8 arm because his arm strength is always playing like uh Freddie Galvis, uh Jimmy Rollins, like these are guys whose arm strength always played because of their athleticism. Uh Royce Lewis, we have a 55 on the arm when he like crow hops into a ball, that's what it is. But his athleticism in Abrams is this way too, is just not suited to for it to play all the time like they make pretty looking plays but not strong throws uh like they just are not those type of athletes or like straight line athletes um so like that's just one of those things like where there are philosophical differences anyway um let's continue who else was a middle infield al uh so we did franco lewis madrigal uh the last one would be jorge mateo with oakland who i thought looked Pretty good, but not not like the tools were different. He, I don't know. I think he's just a little better than we had, or I had last heard about him at least. Um, I was not. I'm not. I disagree. Like I had maybe this is one of those guys who just didn't care during infield. I thought uh, his hands during the game are below. Like he's still more of a center field look for me than uh, oh, the infield. I meant offensively. I think we had, oh we offensively had as a center, yeah a center fielder a while ago, even though he's not playing center field yet. Um. Because he had what was it yeah. last season? His like his performance was just, like not fantastic, and we're just like, oh, we thought it was definite speed, definite contact, definite raw power, and then um, you know we're not sure about the position. And then last year it was like, oh, the offensive performance wasn't there. Like, what, what is this guy going to be? And now it's right. like he's, the offense is back on track. Right, he's performing again statistically, which again like AAA that type of hitting environment in Vegas, the baseball at AAA this season is going to do stuff. He was he was opposite field oriented during BP. I don't know. We're just going to – he's going to be a 45 forever. Like I don't trust him to perform. He's been so inconsistent. He's been consistently inconsistent the ent- his entire minor league career. Um, I just – I think he's like 
he might have a good season or two. But I also I, say he's not like a six year performer type. Yeah, he's one of the guys, not without going into specifics, where there was what a suspension for I believe insubordination with the Yankees and scouts just like seemed to just be a little wary of him in general. And then after he had a bad season last year, I think they're even more wary now for different reasons. Um, so it's just a guy that I think people are consistently if you look at like, you know, the raw tools and stuff, like there are other yeah. guys on the board that are higher that have fewer tools that are similar types of players and it may if you're trying to make an algorithm where you just take the tools and the performance and where does this guy rank, like that might be one of the guys that gets rounded down on just because he's a guy that's consistently non twenty eighty scale stuff has sort of had made people a little less bullish on him. And it yep. it seems like there is some smoke to that, or there is some fire to that smoke, fire. I suppose. Yeah. I think so. Uh, remaining infielders, uh, Isaac Paredes uh, with Detroit, who continued to look about the way we thought, <laughs> at least to me. Yeah, like he can he can really hit. He's a heavy-bodied young guy. Um, Maxed out the, body, not a ton of raw power, not quick enough for right. shortstop. It's just sort of like he's kind of good at everything and not great at anything. Yeah, so the defensive footwork and the actions are good, but again, like it's hard to say what's going to happen physically – just because of where the body is already at this age. Um, but I think he's going to hit enough to be an everyday player. We just – not a star. Not a star. And he had that uh, nice uh, – he was the one that hit the double into right center to like kind of blow the game open, right? That was him? Yes. Yeah. You find Detroit. Um, I changed Mateo to center field on the board. Uh, but left the tool grades the same because I think that's probably correct. Parade is – we have listed at third. That's correct. Plus hit average power. Would you would yeah, you I say gave, it's? I gave him a fifty. Okay. Uh, everything else is the same. Okay. Uh, our next step would be the two guys that I think left a bit of an impression for us. Uh, one would be Evan White with Seattle. Yeah. Who I uh, I saw him briefly as an amateur, and I don't remember him having that much raw power. Although it sounds like he has developed a bit in that regard in pro ball, so I I don't think I'm the only one that has that note. Yep, definitely a swing change guy. More better use of the lower half. It's just. Uh, more athletic swing for a player who was clearly more athletic than his swing was in college. It's still, it's still twelve in the game. Yeah, he had a laser to uh, Taylor Trammell on the the Matt Manning bunt, uh, like swinging bunt play. Um, White fielded that ball and like blink of an eye, that ball was on its way to second base to try to catch the runner napping, come like coming off the bag at second base. Um, so it's like you know plus plus defender at first. Runs really well. Uh, about let me see. Um, you could argue based on his. I think I had fifty. It was all fields power and BP fifty. I give fifty five, but yeah, you could you, you could spend that one a couple different ways because I think he's one of those guys where you could you could boost it based on what's happened in the game. Because um, I think there's I think some I'm guys where you would say fifty raw and then fifty five game like that's rare, but I think some guys you can do that with. He might be one of them. I'm half grade stingier than you, I think, when it comes to grading raw. I think that's I've kind of known about that, but have it's gone unsaid for a little while. <laughs> All right, the unsp- I'm gonna yeah, the, unsp- the unspoken um, future fifty five on white. And I think we um, had, we had uh, moved him into the fifty sort of late, and as a obviously a first baseman without enormous tools, like it's hard to put him like much higher than like around one hundred to one hundred twenty, which I think is where he is right now. While we're here. The current Mariners order of guys in the hundred. Uh, we have Kelnick, who I thought looked good at Futures game. Um, yep. We're, I guess we're about to we're about to get there. Then Julio, then Logan Gilbert, then White, and then Justin Dunn. After what we've seen, 
um, this past week, do you think that order holds water? I think that that's correct. Yeah, I'm not inclined to disagree. Not and then shed and then Justice Sheffield, which I also think is correct. Yep, I'm good with that. Okay. Um, um, the last guy of the AL infielders was Nolan Jones, who for me I think was the most notable. Like, oh, I think his tool grades might be wrong. <laughs> like he looks a little bit different than I remember. Well, let's look at those. Um, yeah, which now I'm, I, I realize I didn't go back to look and see what they actually were. Um, all right, so we have on the board, we have him as a 55 future 60 power and a 60 future 60 arm. I thought it was at least a 60 arm, maybe a 7, and then I thought the power was a 65, maybe a 70. So I thought there was, yes, a, I I thought there was a little more on both of them. Yeah, we should... And he also looked like he was in better power. shape and just taking ground balls during BP. Um, I thought he looked better sort of physically and defensively than... At least I had last heard. I'm trying to think the last time I saw him might have just been area codes. Yeah. So I would I'd be inclined to leave him as a future forty five glove at third just because of how big the frame is and where I think ultimately um he'll rest. Uh I I think like at his offensive peak he will not be as agile as he is right now. He's uh, still a bigger third baseman, which they obviously much um, bigger. Yeah, they're they're not going to be um, super agile, and they're not going to age super well. I, I mean, to me, it's not that different than like Brett Beatty, where it's like, oh, he's fine at third base now, but it's only going to get worse, and by twenty five, it might be like notably worse. It's just like, oh, it works right now, and I think that's kind of where Nolan Jones is. Although Beatty, I think, has quicker and better feet than Jones does. He's getting he's getting bumped to Double A after the game. He's got twenty percent walk rate uh, at High A this year. Had a 20% walk rate for a month at high A last year. Strikeout rate has been 26%. Um, yeah, I think you and I are both in on the power. Playing in games, probably a third base. I don't know, is there is there a good comp for this in the big leagues right now? Like, is this a guy who we're low on in general a little bit? Um, Hunter Dozier was a two-win player in the first half. <laughs> not gave up on, but like we were not bullish on him. It's similar defensively at third, sort of similar offensive what about, tool sets what about as Mike far as the Mus- power is concerned. Mike Moustakis? I mean, not exactly the same kind of guy, but the package was yeah. similar. Where you're not, super, uh, yeah. you're not super sold on the defense, but he's got some power. and obviously Oh, Moustakis. see, I disagree on I think Moose is an excellent defensive third baseman. He's just kind of like a doughy guy. Yeah, the body doesn't inspire um, confidence. Right. Like you, If I told you at any minute that was going to cease... You'd be like, yeah, I could see that. Um, and Eugenio Suarez. I mean, none of these guys are running like I, tw- the only guy walking this much, even coming close to it, is Bregman. Yeah. Um, I don't think Jones will walk twenty percent of the time at the big league level. Yeah, you could look at but, like Justin Turner, Andy Diaz. There's some more guys that have like similarities, but yeah, I don't think there's a perfect cop in terms right. of like a fringy defensive, huge raw power, good approach, left-handed bat. Late career Donaldson is sort of the same like type of guy. He's a two-win player at the break right now. Uh, so yeah, like you could. I think that we're correct to have Jones top of the Cleveland list. I guess the question um, would be in the top 100 would he move up? He well, let's see. You have him at 54. I think that's about right. Yeah, it's not clearly low, but I, yeah, I guess I'm saying if we're adjusting up the tools, does that then adjust him up on the list, or do, does it just look like we're expecting it to go somewhere and it went somewhere? We have Andrew Vaughn ahead of him at 44. Would you move him past Vaughn? That's a good question. 
Other guys in the 54 area, Miguel Amaya at 57, Nico Horner 59, Johnny India maybe we're too high on. Yeah, like I wouldn't move Nolan Jones all the way up to like the Bobby Witt, Patino, Waters area. So I think he's clearly right. below Agreed. that. I don't think he has quite the upside as Jesus Sanchez or Kalenic or Gorman. I think right at Blade, right Vaughn, I think is right where it kind of makes sense in that 42 to 44 range, which is, you know, it's about 10 spots is about the most you could justify there. Okay. And obviously, I guess Corbin right, hasn't, so, hasn't moved down yet, so he'll probably move ahead of him at least. I'm going to, I'm just going to know. Like if, that you're, we should... if you're the White Sox, would you swap Dylan Cease for Nolan Jones? I think our power stuff might be a TJ or has a TJ might be a reliever like we'll see I'm not sure they would uh, do it but I think they'd think about it yeah like yeah I think that's one of those that kind of depends on where your big league franchise is at at the time kind of a philosophical question more than a player evaluation talk about if you're in the right spot yeah I'd say him and him and Pearson right there in the 50s might both be candidates to slide up a little bit all right, I'm just writing down that we want to maybe think about moving, sliding him up. And then if we that's moved, the thing. I think, after yeah, the pod. and if we haven't moved Corbin Martin yet, obviously he'll have to slide down some now with the TJ. Yeah, I'm okay with moving guys on team lists as we do this, but as far as the hundred is concerned, I think we'll have to like have a longer off the pod combo. Um, All the okay. secret thoughts that people can't hear. Uh, all right, well, so we need, yeah, move a little, yeah. we need to move a little quicker now because we've got another team worth of hitters and then all of the pitchers. Um, so, eh, I'm having fun. <laughs> stop having fun. Uh, AL side, outfielders, we have Joe Adele, Jaron Duran, Daniel Johnson, Jared Kalenic, and Luis Robert, or Lou Bob as we call him. Uh, any of those guys jump out to you as being notably different than you were expecting? Well, Jaron Duran, uh, I think, where do we have Jaron Duran right now? I think we put him as a 45-plus. I think he should probably just be a 45 Yes, he was not as good as I thought he would be. Yeah, or not as good as I was hoping. Yeah, I was hoping Just for like him to like announce his that trajectory of him going from seventh round pick to oh this guy should go in the top one hundred. I was waiting for that to assert itself, and he looked a little overmatched at the plate. Um, he's still a seven runner, and he's got some power, but I thought it was about a fifty, and I don't think he gets to all of it in the game, and and then it's sort of like you know low-end everyday potential center fielder with, um, you know, he's performing, but it's not a super long track record where you feel as good about him as you do about some of these guys that are 50s. Uh, it's definitely a 40 or below arm. So non-zero chance that it is so bad that he's just like an elite defensive left fielder or something like that. Um, I We have to take down his raw power grade too. Um the contact metrics for him are, are pretty strong, uh, but I don't think it's – it was just below. It was just below everybody else. Like I think it's it's probably 45, 45 raw. Yeah. I put I put sort of the 50 future question mark. Was he sort of holding back a little bit, like that sort of thing? But, yeah, I didn't, I didn't see a 50. So, yeah, I, I mean you could go future 50 if you want, but I think – do we have – what do we have before this? We had 55, I think, just based on yeah. eyeball reports and... Well, also the swing uh, had changed. Like, we hadn't been able to see him in BP and see what it was since the, ch- the swing had changed. Because when he was at Long Beach and I saw him, it was, you know, it was a pretty easy four. Yeah, so it's probably... It's more of a contact-oriented tweener profile. Like, what's the difference between this guy and TJ Friedel with Cincinnati? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's this guy maybe guy. runs It's not an better. impact offensive guy and it's speed and defense. Um, yeah. 
I, th- I think so his upper take... trajectory may, may cut off a little bit here. I don't think he's a top 100 guy. Right, like that's it. Yeah, it was – we had him 45-plus basically like, hey, this guy's got some t- tweener traits, but the performance has been incredible. Maybe it's a seven bat or something like that, and he and he's an everyday guy. But now after seeing him, it's like, eh. Which could also it be a bad day. Really it does was, like it was one day against you know, a huge stage that he's never been on before with a bunch of dudes throwing really hard, and he has had really good performance. But, uh, yeah, not – with these things, you like to not say uh, you don't want to go in there and watch a guy and have him not perform well, and you start making excuses for like why that was a bad day. It's like, well, you, you saw him not perform well. Like, you can't just keep moving him so, up. So, Darwinson, Hernandez, or Jaron Duran? I would still take Duran just because he's a hitter, and I think Darwinson is a three or four command reliever. I think Hernandez is a, is certainly a reliever. I think it could be elite, like back end back end stuff. But yeah, like it's there's also a chance. Like Philippe Almont had elite back end stuff. Like yeah, like um, I think Duran has a better chance of being a five than Darwinson does. Okay. Although right, if, so if Duran Duran keeps hitting down. the way he is in Double A right now, which he's a 22 year old, so he's age appropriate and he hasn't been hitting in his first 30 games. If that continues, then I'll move Darwinson ahead of him. Because obviously that the look of the futures game will be in the back of our mind, being like, sure. "Oh, if, if he has a seventy-five WRC plus when he's suddenly playing against his peers, like that kind of makes sense given what we saw." Yep. All right. Uh, who else is in the outfield? Uh, Joe Adele, who I think uh, same. Yeah, looked about the same. Um, Jared Kalenic, who we mentioned earlier, I think looks about. I think the we're same. in the right spot on him. Same. Uh, Lou Bob. BP was disappointing from like a contact feel perspective, but I've like seen enough of him doing it and hitting for a huge BP power not to move him. Uh, feel in center field was still good from the like the few chances he had. Um, I you know I I don't think we should move him. He's been really he's been hitting. Uh, he credited um, I saw I think it was JJ Cooper tweeted uh, that he, the player told them, like, my bat path is better now. It's part of why I'm hitting. That was definitely a concern, like, having seen a lot of Luis Robert last year when he was rehabbing a bunch and in Fall League. Like, the thing that was a problem was the bat path. Uh, so if he has indeed corrected that and that's part of why he's hitting, then, like, you could argue we should be a little higher on him. But we have a number one in the system, 25 overall. That's uh, definitely properly aggressive for someone who hasn't performed until this year. Right, like, below plate discipline, injury issues... Like, let's see how the hit tool actually plays as he reaches the upper levels. Like, I think that's fine. Uh, last guy is Daniel Johnson. Johnson, we didn't. Yeah, we yeah. didn't really see. I don't think I've seen before. I know you've seen him before, and I know yes. your description was, oh, it's like big tools, but I'm not sure how much he's going to hit, and that's, like, pretty much what I saw. There's yeah, like a bunch, uh, of, bunch of loud qualities, and I'm just like, ah, but what is this? Props to him for going sleeveless with the jersey. I, I thought it was cocky, and I loved it. Um, he's It's eight-arm above raw uh he can really run but yeah it's kind of you know like the bat head is sort of late into the zone um there's maybe a little power down and in in games but mostly it's going to be the power is going to come from like hard hit low line contact and his speed is like how the doubles are going to manifest um so you know chance he doesn't hit enough to be a regular maybe he's a high-end platoon type of guy but I know there are teams who like have him on their in their hundred mix just because the tools are so strong. And so, yeah, with, uh, with uh, the sort of stack cast and trackman elements, it's much easier to define those things than it used to be. And what do we have on him? A forty-five? He's like, or he's a forty-plus? Eh, I think that's fine. 
Yep. Uh, moving to the National League. Uh, their catcher group, Miguel Amaya with the Cubs, Joey Bart with the Giants, Dalton Varsho with Arizona. Anything stand out to you about those guys? Not really. Bart had a terrible BP. He and the BP pitcher, in my opinion, were just like not on the same page. Uh, he took a bunch of pitches. They were both kind of like, you know, shaking their heads at one another. Uh, so just I, like I tossed his BP out. It's, you know, 60-65 raw. Um, so, no, I you know I, don't, I wouldn't move any of those guys. Agree. Uh, infielders uh, will go one by one. Uh, will Craig do anything for you? Hit by pitch twice in game. He did not seem happy yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, he's We have him 40'd. Uh, I think that's where he belongs. Uh, and also his wife asked if he was getting too old for Futures games, which I thought was a very good quote. Um, Alec Baum. <sighs> Shortened up noticeably with two strikes at one point. Uh, late in the game, had an opportunity to like kind of put the game away. Uh, took two big hacks uh, and whiffed and then shortened up with two strikes and put a ball back through the middle. Um, so that was interesting. I think it's Chris Bryant's body, but not athleticism. Correct. I'm less optimistic about him staying at third uh, and think that ultimately he'll be like first base corner outfield. Maybe he's okay at third. Like, who do, who do you take at third base, Jones or Bob? Like, Jones, I guess, has more athletic margin for error because the arm strength is so big. Like, he'll still make some plays. That Bomb won't because of the arm. Yes, and I think uh, I think Bomb has the ceiling for raw power, but I don't think he had the swing for it, and I still don't think he's quite there, which makes me wonder if he will be. So, I, yeah, I guess, I guess Jones has these sort of louder tools. The left-hand hitter sounds like probably a better approach, but then I think Bomb has better contact skills. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'd probably lean Jones there. Uh, so, Bomb. Bomb, we have, yeah, 55 overall. So there should be some more separation between Jones and guys like this. I think you're right. We need to move Jones up. Does Bomb move down within the 50s? I think he's done about what we thought he would do. Like, I'm not sure he's a lesser prospect than he was at the draft. If anything, I think because he's performed yeah. at a high level. I think yep. it's just, like, these sort of questions around right. third base, like... I mean, I was the one that saw him a lot last year, and I think the first time I saw him, I go, oh, it's the third baseman. The second game, I was like, mm, I don't know. And then by, like, the fourth or fifth game I saw, I was like, I'm not sure that guy's going to play third base. And I think he's just sort of continued down that road of of uh, if the scouting report could be a noise, it would be, eh, at least defensively speaking. Right, yeah, I think that's fine. Um, uh, Isan okay. Diaz with the Marlins would be next. Isan's uh, body, I thought, has, has, he's cleaned it up. Uh, looks better defensively at second base than he has in the past when I've seen him. The actions have always been pretty good, uh, and the range and like footwork has been an issue at times as he has like been heavier. I thought his BP was strong. Like We have him 50 and kind of have now for a while, even when he wasn't performing just because of the tools. Um, he has been patient on the like border of passive in the past. Uh, I think he's really performing at AAA, but like everybody is. Um, yeah, he does. A, he does a lot of things well in that he has hands yeah. for the infield. He has raw power. He has bad control. But it's just he's a, patient. Yeah, it's an it's an unusual uh, body, which then gets you down the road. Where it's like, well, if he's not in a great body, you're not great uh, laterally. Um, 
then you could start like talking yourself out of it. It's like no, like this this is what happens sometimes in draft rooms where guys start like picking on a guy like this, and everyone's just like, let's focus on what he does well. It's like puts the ball in play, has power, has right. patience, can play second base. Like how many guys can do that? And you're just like, oh yeah, we're being too negative. Right. Max Muncie and Travis Shaw and stuff are are yeah. getting reps at second base, so uh, I think this guy will be totally fine. Uh, next up, yep. Nolan Gorman. Uh, I don't know. Same. Yeah, I feel like we're appropriately rating him. Uh, we would not be very good at the overrate underrate game where we just say appropriately rated to like half the players. Um, Carter Keeboom. Poor Carter. Ke- okay, so they spelled Carter Keeboom's name wrong on the back of his jersey. When I mean they, I don't know. Like, I, we know, should exactly. we should point out that it was an ongoing Twitter joke that during the All Star game and the Futures game, I think there were like eight total typos on the on the jumbotron. So like it was. It was a theme yeah, throughout the weekend. Um, and so then Keeboom takes his jersey off during BP because he probably was like, oh, this kind of sucks. And then they made him put it back on. Like he, his first couple rounds, he did not have it on. And then they made him put it on. And then literally in the concourse, they had a stand like set up where you could go have an all-star jersey made – and, like, no one went up there and was just like, can you do a Keyboom Nationals one, please? <laughs> <laughs> like, that would have been pretty easy to do. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure it's exactly is... the same material of Jersey, but I, th- I don't think he would have cared that it much. doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah, he wouldn't care. I would have rather had my name spelled properly uh, on the back of my jersey. Yeah, McDongenhagen. Everyone knows how to spell it. Uh, his swing looks a little different. He, he was He did not have, like, the same quality BP that he had a when I saw him uh, last year, like especially in the fall league. Uh, I still think, again, this is the type of player who at short, like will ultimately someone will just stick him there. Uh, The arm strength is there. The hands are fine. It's just, again, like the range is not great, but you can kind of hide that stuff. Um, So maybe he's like stock a little bit down because the bat just looks a little bit different. I have to go like watch the film to see exactly what it is. Uh, his hands are just not working quite as well as they were last fall when I was just all about it. Um, so maybe he gets watered down a little bit or like slid down a little bit within his tier, but mostly he's the same for me. Uh, last up is Gavin Lux. Lux has throwing issues. That's not quite – like it's not quite where it needs to be. I think it might just be – I don't know if it means second base or an outfield corner, but I don't think I care. Like it's huge bat speed and power and lift. Yeah. He's shockingly more physical and stronger than he was in high school. Like, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, you know, I, I just assume he's going to be a second baseman. I mean, given also that Seager's there, but that just, I don't know, that seems like the spot where you'd put him in. Even yeah, where we have him is where I think he belongs. Like, it's very strong. Uh, finishing up the hitters on the AL, we have the outfielders. Uh, Monte Harrison did not come, um, so that leaves us with Dylan Carlson of the Sam. Cardinals. Yeah. What would you say? No, so, sorry, I misunderheard you. Uh, yeah, Dylan Carlson with the Cardinals, Kristen Pache of the Braves. Uh, we keep wanting to say Helio, and I've been told it's Heliot Ramos. Heliot. All right, well, before we get to that, is there a disciplinary thing with Monte? Uh, I thought I read that it was an injury. Mm, okay. But the, that's a fair question if people haven't seen the um, the outburst he had that was captured on uh, a video that was on Twitter of when he tried to walk up and hit left-handed, which, as far as I know, he's never done in pro ball. And then his coach pulled him off the field and let him <laughs> sat him down for the game, and then he spiked his helmet. Obviously, something we don't know about that. Um, yeah, lots of. We don't why, know. why was he going to the plate left-handed, and why was he so committed to it? It just seems like a weird set of circumstances. It's weird. Uh, so, Elliot Ramos with San Francisco, Alec Thomas, Arizona, and Taylor Trammell with the Reds. 
So Carlson, I, I guess we'll start with because we thought he yes, would be right. like a, a breakthrough guy that would jump into the 50 range, which we moved him up there, didn't we? Yeah, he's a 50 now. He's towards the back of the 100. He's uh, 98th. Yeah, and I, I like the BP, and I thought he was good in the game. Let me see what my notes say. You start talking. Uh, yeah, so I was with you on the BP, both sides of the plate. Um, he's been playing center field. We have him listed as a right fielder on the board. I think based on the arm strength we saw during in and out that he's probably a left fielder first baseman. Um, he in The way he has – it's like the opposite of Lux. Uh, Carlson's physically is more lean and uh, like moving better now than he was in high school. In high school, there was concern that he'd be first base only. Uh, and instead, the, like his body has gotten better and he is like a, he's playing center field. Um, if he has really good instincts for center, then maybe there's a chance that he stays there and is, and is passable there. Uh, I'm still inclined to project him to a corner throughout, like even most of the first, you know, six, six, seven years of team control. Uh, I think he'll be in a corner for most of that. I just think that you'll have a better alternative in center field, um, and that he'll play left. So I'm inclined to project him as a left fielder, and I think probably take down his arm strength grade. But that's me. Uh, Christian Pache is next up. Um, he has obviously had a good performance this year. Um, the raw power in BP, I think, is showing up to the level that I had seen at sort of his best his best moments. Um, uh, I guess they were like mostly mostly pri- private uh, BPs where he was really letting it go because obviously in the games uh, early on uh, in the champagne the- room. <laughs> yeah, you know me. Me and Christian taking BP in the champagne room. Um, BP in champagne room. <laughs> gotta get Chris Rock on that sequel. Um, but he's gotten bigger and stronger. He's performing better. Uh, a lot of times I'll have friends that play fantasy uh, asking me about, like, which sorts of guys should you pick up. And I always say pick up the guys that have low strikeout rates or good back control. And Well, they would say who has good back control. And I say, well, the guys with low strikeout rates, generally speaking. Um, or guys with good approaches, I guess, however you want to define that. And I remember, I think I was saying... Cody Bellinger is fine because he has the back control and athleticism. And they're like, but he has a lot of strikeouts. And I was like, well, he's an exception. And they, and they go, oh, Lewis Brinson, he's below 20% strikeouts. So he's he, he's a guy to get, right? And I'm like, no, that guy's like a swing and miss guy. Uh, and I think Pache is a guy who doesn't have a crazy strikeout rate, which actually now it makes me want to check and make sure that that is the case. I believe that is the case. Um, but he still does not have good pitch selection because he has such good back control. He, or he's at 22.5% now. Um which is, I don't know, a little, a little more than average, but he's hitting a bunch of home runs. Um, he is making contact and will, by stats, appear to have a better approach because he can make contact and foul pitches off and kind of battle, and when pitchers are not good in the minor leagues, he can foul those pitches off get and hang around until he gets a mistake, whereas in the big leagues, being that aggressive and swinging at that many pitches and sort of borderline pitches having weak contact, um, the infielders are better. You can't outrun and get infield singles. Uh, you can't... You know, when a guy throws a 60 slider just off the plate as opposed to a 51, you're not going to hit it and you're going to swing and miss as opposed to fouling mm-hmm. it off. So I think those are his issues that in A, those numbers will not as easily translate without some adjustments to his profile uh, or his approach. And I think that's the issue. And also, I think I know he was an 80 runner two years ago. It seems like more of a 65 or 70 now. I don't know if that affects his defensive ability. I haven't really seen him play much defense this year. Um, but I guess he is sort of progressing in a way that you would think from looking at his stats. But I would say... Um, I've heard some chatter. He may spend the whole rest of this year in Double A because I think the Braves are aware of this situation. Sort of needs to be remedied in some way because he can't. I don't think he can succeed offensively in the big leagues with this approach. 
Yeah, I think that he'll... This is the type of player who, like, hits 7th or 8th and kind of gets pitched around and and uh, doesn't make an adjustment to, to that type of thing. Um, I don't know. I, I think we should leave him where he is. Just I don't even I don't have him as that kind of runner. Like I just have him as like a six runner. Um, yeah, but that was a, mostly. I thought I got a run time in the game. Yeah, I got him uh, four one five uh, in the game. Which okay, so that's sixty five. Yeah, sixty five. So yeah, and I know I had gotten I believe it was not nineteen but eighteen. I was getting like multiple eighty run times. Um, so yeah, obviously he's gotten bigger and stronger. He's, Lost a step, but I think he's probably still a plus defender, given how things looked when he was... Oh, yeah, I think... Yeah, he's incredible. He's an incredible defensive player. Uh, The other guy I wanted to talk about was Alec Thomas, uh, who was performing very well. I guess as an amateur, it was below average raw power, plus runner, center field, and it's sort of uh, back control, contact, track record, and him, Kalenic, and Mike Siani were the three northern high school outfielders from the 2019 class that were on the SoCA circuit multiple summers. So it was not the normal northern outfielder where you haven't seen them against good pitching or a lot. You've seen them both against a lot of good pitching and a lot, and they all hit well. Um, and then this year he's been performing really well. I thought there was more raw power in BP than I'd seen from him before. I think 45 was probably the best I'd seen from him before, and I thought it was a 5. Um, and then also this spring he is really performing. He's in low A as a 19-year-old, a young 19-year-old, with a 154 WRC+. plus. And a 360 BABIP that, given his speed, it's not like that's crazy high. Uh, he might be like, you know, a 315 in the big leagues guy and maybe should be a 350, 360 in the minors guy, especially in the low minors. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't think there's a ton of luck in that. He's like walking more than I would have guessed and striking out a little less given that he's already hit eight homers. Um, all of this leading to, we have him as a 45 plus. I guess the question would be, is this guy 50 now? Because if you look I at the track record, yeah, if you look at the track record of nineteen-year-olds in the Midwest League, there's not a lot of guys performing like this. And we knew this guy could hit. It's not like this right. is surprising or fluky. Nope. Yeah, he has been. It's a cold weather prospect who has basically been advanced this whole time. Um, he's another guy where the arm strength, if he if he can't play center field, is it's left field. Who else do we have? Like, I don't know, it's Tramel, I guess, that type of skill set, but um, on you know, a you could, Well, I guess Kalenic isn't exactly that guy, but he's also not a slam dunk for center field that is sort of a hit over power that has some power. Yeah, more much more power. Um, and his performance in the Midwest League was, at, at age 19, was a little better than this, but not wildly better. Do you take Alec Thomas or Tristan Casas? I would probably take Thomas just because the margin for error in the profile is much greater. Whereas Casas, if he's not like six, six at six power, he might be a platoon guy. Do you take Nick Lodolo or Alec Thomas? I think I might take Thomas over Lodolo too. Thomas or George Valera? It's a good question because what is your latest read on what position Valera is going to play? Because he looked like corner only when I saw him as an amateur and I think you were saying that it was a little bit better than that. His yeah, he's a feel and instincts guy in center who I think has a chance to stay there. He has also been hurt a bunch, but like it's definitely he, has more juice and more offensive. Upside. Yeah, sexy ass swing with like yeah, chance to hit for huge power. I think maybe both both Valera Valera who we have at one hundred and two. Uh, you could argue just like on the Indians team list that he belongs past Tristan McKenzie, who remains injured uh, at this point. I, I think um, Valera versus Thomas, I would lean toward the long track record of hitting in games, currently performing guy, than the 
pure potential has been hurt a little bit, like hasn't really performed as much. That I think is what one year younger. It's not like he's way younger. They're they're a little. Hold on. Shit, I lost. Where where'd you go? Uh, Valera is eighteen point seven, and the Thomas I think is nineteen point two. Thomas yeah. is doing this in full season ball, and Valera's in the pen league. And the, yeah, the profile uh, and upside isn't amazingly different. So yeah, I'd say right. give me the track record guy that's also performing now. All right, well I'm putting Alec Thomas on the, next to Nolan Jones on our list of things to do. All right, uh, and like so it's, yeah, so it sounds like he's moving into the 50 future value tier. And then the last two that I just talk about are Heliot Ramos and Taylor Trammell. Um, Ramos was in the game last year. We talked about this before, and it's on the like written in the Giants list. Like he had a physical tool. His, his tools were down last year. They're back up. I thought he had one of the more impressive VPs. Um, what is his what's his plate discipline like? But yeah, I I feel really strongly about him. I think he's quite good. You ever been with him in the champagne room? No. <laughs> he's too young. He's still nineteen. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh, no, Sorry. I guess you only have to be eighteen, don't you? Well, not for well, not for alcohol. Yeah, if it's champagne, if it's, it's champagne, maybe. Uh, but yeah, so at high A, ten uh, percent walk rate is above what he did the previous two years by a pretty good bit. Two ninety, three seventy, four eighty. Um, the bat speed is definitely back. It's all fields. Like he has good opposite field feel. Um, he's running well enough for center, although the you know with. The body, I'm not sure. It's like kind of a bowling ball, Kirby Puckett type build. Um, so that it'll be interesting to see how that develops. A non-zero chance that he cannot play center, but for now, I think it's fine. You know, I like my outfielders the way I like my bowling balls. <laughs> I mean, like, it's like you know, like Maurice, <laughs> Maurice Jones drew. Yeah, like that type of that's like the body comp you throw on this guy. Jamal Anderson, when I like to throw around. There you go. Uh, and then Tramel. Do we have Tramel too high? Yes. I also thought that. Ooh, you are furiously scrolling right now. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Uh, we have him 60'd. I think we should, I think he should be 55'd. So what has changed since the offseason when we 60'd him? I'm less confident of there ever being any kind of real power. In game. Yeah, I think he's high OBP um, with like medium quality contact and like below below in game power and i just don't think what we saw in the futures game last year is rep- is representative of him in any way i think it's like spray slash uh more doubles speed obp uh premium defense in left field like we've talked about carl crawford uh with him before i don't think he has anywhere near that kind of power coco yeah, that's more of, what more of what we're looking at, I think. So we don't have to put him in exactly spot now, but like, what range on the top 100 looks right for him? Like, what, what guys seem comparable? 55 future value types. Like, he should probably be around... Do you take him or Luis Robert? Probably go Lou Bob there. Me too. Um, do you take him or... i take him over Drew Jazz. Waters? i take him over Jazz, yeah. Yeah, I take him over Jazz still. I guess probably over Kopik too, just because we don't know what that's going to look like yeah. when he comes back. It might be a reliever. Yep. I guess over Kopik, then over Puck, and then maybe him and Kirilov. I mean, they're in the, they're in that same draft class. So it makes sense. Yep, I feel like that that's a good spot for him. All right, well, 
that is the hitters. We can, I think, run through the pitchers. Obviously, there won't be quite as much discussion because they basically just threw each pitch once or twice, and then we're like, all right, yeah. now they're off. Let's get another guy in. So we'll start with the American League. Uh, the American League, I believe Bukowskis is the only one that didn't throw. Okay. Correct. All right, so we'll go in order. Uh, Davey Garcia, I had 93 to 97 with a four-seamer, which is a little harder than he is as a starter, but not completely surprising. Yep. Um, he threw a slider I had not seen before. At 86-87, although now I'm wondering if that was a change. Through one, right? Yeah, I, had I thought it was a slider. I watched it on the broadcast. I thought okay. it was a slider. Then it was a slider, because that's what I wrote down. Uh, I put that with solid average, and then the curveball, which I've seen a bunch of times, is plus. And I don't think he threw a changeup, but I've seen it 55, maybe 60, uh, when he really yep. nails it. So that guy, not super surprising. That's about what I expected. Uh, next up was Justin Dunn. Oh, I'm following along here on the StatCast stuff. Uh, he was 2-4... to four. Breaking ball, I thought, was a 55 or 60 at 80-81. It's curveball. The changeup, I had not seen as good before, and it was a 55, maybe a 60 as well at 87-88, which I guess the velo differential might make me round down to more of a 55. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think you had said that there were some similarities with Duplantier uh, of Arizona as sort of like a above-average mm-hmm. stuff, pretty good feel. Um, but like yeah. on certain days, you might not see the, the overwhelming sixty that makes you like, oh, this is gonna work. Right. I thought that yeah, he's still like sort of one of those mid to low fifties that we have in like the one hundred, like the ninety five to one ten range, sort of. Yep. There. So he also didn't change very much. Uh, DL Hall threw the ball real hard. Yep. Uh, he was ninety six to ninety eight, uh, both for me and on Statcast. Uh, I saw a breaking ball that I thought was a 55 to 60 that was 78 to 80 miles an hour. Buried it well, and then I saw an above-average changeup at 81, which I think 60, 60, 55 is what we had to stuff at over the summer. Um, mm-hmm. We had a, with three future 60s, like a chance for oh, okay. three future 60s. There you go. So, yeah, that looked about like what blow, I expected command as well. Command um, Do Grayson while you're there. Okay. Because we're going to move him. Skipping ahead, Grayson Rodriguez. Um, I had him four to six. That is also what Statcast had. Uh, curveball was seventy three, seventy four. He kind of flipped it in there. For me, it was about average. He has a slider, but he did not throw it. Even though Statcast says he did, it was a screwball that he was throwing seventy nine to eighty that uh, we have put on Twitter and Instagram. Um, if you'd like to see it, I have never seen someone throw it. We also have not gotten high-speed video of Brent Honeywell, who also hasn't thrown very much in the last few years. Um, I was asked in the chat today if that changes the evaluation, and I said, not really. Like, if it's a 55 to 60 changeup of some kind, it doesn't really matter what the spin is like. It just sort of acts as this quality of pitch, which is what it was. But he was also a guy that was fastball, breaking ball, occasional changeup in high school. I know the Orioles guys that picked him said, we thought there was the chance for four pluses. Uh, and so obviously they saw the changeup pretty good. Um, I don't think they knew that he threw it that way. I think it may have changed the way he threw it recently. Um, so, and again, the body is good. The, the results are good. The stuff is good. The command is fine. The delivery is still a little weird, but not bad. Like the arm action's a little unusual. Yeah. So where um, does do that make him you want to put him? Use, do you take him or use Neil Diaz in the Orioles list to start? How is Yuzniel doing now? I know he started off pretty slow. It was bad. If he's still bad, then give me Grayson. I'm with you. Um, I've never. I've like always kind of been lukewarm on Diaz anyway. Oh, some. So somehow he he has Yuzniel. It's like oh, he must be really hot right now because it was super super bad. And now, yeah. Okay. So 
basically in June he started going nuts. Um, oh yeah, his numbers are pretty good now. Yeah, they're up. His so bad was two sixty six, which he can't be that bad. Yeah, so he's arguably due for still like a bit of a regression, and like a positive one. Um, so maybe we don't move them. But does Grayson move in the hundred? Yeah, we're um, let's see what teenage pitchers are around him in the hundred. So we have him at ninety nine right now. This is before mm-hmm. the game. Hunter Green is at seventy nine. I take Grayson over Lodolo and Tony Santion, who are behind him already. Tristan McKenzie's at ninety two. I think I take Grayson over over McKenzie at this point. I agree. We might just be high on McKenzie. Yeah, I guess at some point, he, if he goes too far past McKenzie, then passes Usniel. Do you take uh, Grayson Rodriguez or Riley Green? I would take Riley Green. Okay. Yeah, so we also, have, we have I would also take Corbin Luciano, and I think I would take Gilbert. So yeah, I would say somewhere below those guys. We should probably move Corbin Martin, too, because of the TJ. Yep. I guess you would have to move below Hunter Green, at least. Yeah. His time. All right. Um, so next guy we have is Matt Manning. Uh, I yep. saw him a good bit last year. He was ninety three, ninety seven for me. Let me make sure that's what Statcast had. Uh, yep, ninety four, ninety seven for them. Uh, so the notable development we had seen some video of him throwing a changeup this year. I saw his changeup last year, and it was like you're hoping you're seeing a forty five if he kind of nailed it. And it was he didn't trust it much. It was sort of your prototypical power fastball breaking ball. Fringe command, average control, and couldn't really throw a changeup. And I've seen some mm-hmm. video that makes it look like his changeup is now plus. And he was throwing it right on right, and he threw a couple of 55s. So I think that, along with the command, I think, uh, his sort of plan for pitching and pitching some up in the zone, um, I think all of that is sort of coming together. Like the, the things I prescribed for him when I saw him last year and things were not quite right was shorten the stride, increase the athleticism and the feel, and then get the changeup going. And it sounds like he's basically done... It looks like that was... was Yeah, it looks like he's done all three of them, so I'm not going to act like I fixed him, but I think that's what happened. So, Um, and we we moved him... We moved him up um, before this. Like, we moved him up in our last update. He's at 38, which I think is where he belongs. Yep. So, I guess we... Yeah, we got to see it, and I haven't looked at the high speed of his yet, uh, but I'm curious what his changeup grip is like that... um, that it is improved such. Um, so it sounds like we got him in the right spot. Uh, Chris Bubik with Kansas City, who I saw earlier this year, uh, was also there. You've seen him a good bit above the plus. He threw, what, like seven pitches or something? Yeah, it's 91-94, uh, flashed a 50 curveball on one of the two he threw. He threw one changeup that was 55 or 60, which is what I saw earlier, and it sounds like what you saw at Stanford, so it sounds like he holds serve. Yeah, the VLO is up compared to what I saw at Stanford. He was like 88-91. I want to say he was like 90, 93 when I saw him in the spring. So, yeah, it sounds like that might have gotten a little bit better. Um, speaking of Velo, Nate Pearson was next. I had him 99 to 101. And it looks like, yep, that's what StatCast yep. had. Uh, the slider, I had 55 or 60. But I think you had said also when you saw it in the Fall League, you don't really know how to grade one when he throws it. Uh, actually, what was it? He was hitting like 103, throwing a slider at 93. Was that the time you were talking about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I saw him 99 to 101 with a slider at 88 to 89, so obviously totally different. Um, I graded it as a 55 or 60. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, it didn't have a hellacious amount of movement. He threw one changeup at 79, which it looks like is not captured on here. Uh, mm. Wait, nope, never mind. I was looking at Bubik. <laughs> he did not throw a changeup. That makes more sense. Yeah, it was all fastball slider. So, I, I don't know, you should call that a 7 and a 6. 
Uh, and then I guess we're going to wait to see. Or I think we should probably scoot him up a little bit, but then there's a chance to move him up a lot if he can you know, be going five and six innings the whole summer and not get hurt and continue performing okay. that sort of stuff. All right, I'll write him down. But yeah, I don't think we like 55 him or anything like that. I think maybe he's just a slightly higher 50. Agreed. Although he's, he's, he's up there pretty good right now. But yeah, I'll, again, I'll write him down and we'll have deeper discussion about that. Uh, another nice surprise was Brady Singer. Uh, I had him 3-5, to five, which, yeah, I guess Stackhouse had him 94-95. Um, he was throwing a, what I thought was more of a slider, which is, yep, that's what Stackhouse called it, 83-86. He had thrown a curveball in college that was a 50 at best. He's now throwing more of a slider that flashed 55 for me, so that's a nice development for him. And then the changeup, which he didn't throw a ton in college, he threw three, two or three of them. And I thought it was solid average. And it sounds like that's roughly jives with what you had seen from him in Arizona. Yep. I think he's has a chance to be like a um, like comfortably plus command guy. Like maybe he's someone who should, we should be very aggressive with the command grade. Just because if it's if he succeeds, that's probably why. Is he a 50? We, or is he still 45 plus, right? I think, yeah, we have him 45 plus. But like, is it time to move him up? Now that the breaking ball that was the main concern is a little different and better. And he's performing. And he yeah, do you want to slide through? He, he hasn't gotten hurt to. because we were worried about the arm action, and the longer he doesn't get hurt, the better it gets. Do you want to move Suli down as well? He's not performing. Uh, well, I'm looking at Singer's numbers to see how his performance was. So he was very okay. good in high A, intense starts. He's been just okay in double A. Um, right. I was, like if he were carving double A, I'd say we should fifty him. But I think he just moves up within the forty-five plus tier in this in his group. Like in this, sure. in your. All right, I'm good with that. Um, All right, I'm gonna slide Suli down. He's hitting a buck eighty-eight and striking out forty percent of the time. That's not gonna play. No. Uh, next up for the AL was Jordan Belazovic. Uh, I had him ninety-three, ninety-four. I had a solid average to above average curveball, and then I did not see a changeup. Uh, yep, that's basically what Statcast had. Um, I don't think I had seen him before. Uh, he had, also, his arm action was a little... Uh, it's weird. Yeah, it's a little weird. Uh, and is he... Did we make him a 50 or is he a 45? He's a 45. He's in the 45 tier on the Twins list that is like below the up-the-middle young bats like um, Cavaco, Jose Miranda, Junior Severino. I think that makes sense. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, and then we talked about Grayson Rodriguez, who I believe was the last AL pitcher. Yep. All right, so we'll slide over to the National League. There's somebody else on the Twins list that I need to talk to you about, though. Is it Louis Arias? Not, not now. And no, it's not Luis Arias. Well, we'll do it later. I guess I could also say his name differently. Uh, first up was Braves righty Ian Anderson, 2-5. to five. I had the changeup above, looked about the same as I had seen the last year or so. I yep. had the breaking ball about a 50, which has also been how it's looked the last year or so. Um, don't think he's changed that much. Okay, that's where we've got him. Kenzie Gore, two to four. Did you say he touched seven? Anderson? Uh, just two to five. Okay, thanks. Yeah, stack asked, he touched 95.2. Uh, Mackenzie Gore, two to four. Just oh. toss it out. What do you mean? Well, like, he he walked, um, who did he walk? Adele on four pitches. Like, he just... Yeah, I, I'd seen him with a 60 curve it. before, and it was not a 60 this day. And he was throwing yeah. what looked like a accidental slider rather than a curveball, which I hadn't seen him throw before. But maybe he throws a slider now. I think he was nervous and just didn't perform. 
Dustin May was pretty good. He was really fucking good. He was 97 to 98 with plus life for me. Uh, Curveball I had plus at 83, 84. He threw a slider at 92, which I think got yep. classified as a four-seamer on here. Um, <laughs> yep. They, yeah, they called his... What I called his curveball, they called a slider. And then what I called the slider, they called a cutter. Yeah, um, that makes sense. And I thought the the 92-mile-hour slider also looked plus, And I did not see a change-up. But it sounds like he has one. Uh, but we, already have, we already have him as the next guy behind those three pitchers we talked about at the top. Yeah, the he's stuffed. Um, Kyber Ruiz, we have number one in the Dodger system ahead of May at 12 overall. Um at double A, he is hitting 250, 330, 332, but still just a 7% strikeout rate. I don't know. I'm not all that worried about it. This is two years, two consecutive years of him running like a 260 Babbitt. He's like a bad bodied guy who has like a weird brand of athleticism. Uh, like the game appears very slow to him when he's playing defense. Uh, in a way that like makes him special, but like running and doing stuff like that, he is like you would not believe he's a professional athlete. Like if you just watched him like run and move around, so, um, so it's kind of weird. Given, I mean, this is taking into account like how the team may use them, but if we're just looking into the future, um, if Kyber's in the big leagues two years from now, and he's you know splitting time with Austin Barnes or Will Smith or whoever it is, and he's getting capped out at 400 plate appearances a year. And he has a sort of non-impact offensive approach. He's and, not a four like four war guy. Yeah, and then Dustin May is doing like a version of a Bueller impression, which is basically what he did at the Futures game. Yeah. Are we going to look back and be like, how do we not have May ahead of that guy? Yes. So should May be ahead of that guy? Because that's taking into account how that team will use him. But I also think that that is somewhat of a team agnostic thought. That I, I think those guys will be used that way by any team. I think Rubies might even be traded, but. Um... But yeah, I think May and Lux probably belong ahead of Kyber, but I would not change Ky- I would still leave Ruiz as a 60. I agree. All right, so I'm going to put him down as another guy that like we'll talk about off air and like refine where we stick him. Uh, Anthony K was next. He was 4 to 6, which I don't think I have seen him throw that hard yeah, before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 4 to 6 through change up 85 86. Uh, had a slider at 81. I didn't have a lot of comments on those pitches because I also think he threw like six pitches. Eight pitches, sorry. 94-96? Yeah. 94.3 to 96.1. Okay. Yeah, he threw one curve, one change, one slider, and five fastballs according to StatCast. And I was rushing to get video taken so I didn't have a ton of notes. But the fact he's throwing that hard is a good sign and obviously his numbers are pretty good this year. So... He might be a slight arrow up, although I do not have his range. So we he has been moved up since the start of the year. He's okay. got the up arrow as a forty-five. He's below um, David Peterson, Matthew Allen, Simeon Woods, Richardson, and then Kay, and then Zipaki. And he's a mature-bodied lefty with a TJ in the rear view, so it's not like you want to get super right. He's twenty-four. He's yeah. twenty-four. I think this is what he is. He's a forty-five. Sixto Sanchez, ninety-eight to a hundred. If you need him. Yeah. Slider I had, not quite plus. I've seen plus before. I had it at 55. Uh, and then the changeup I had as plus at 86 to 87. Which, uh, and also the body, not looking fantastic. Yeah. Which I think that was one of the things we had heard in the offseason. Um, 
given the way he was with Philly last year, where he kind of came in, we were told it was like a little out of shape, and then he rushed back, and then his shoulder got sore, and then it was just sort of yeah. like a series of issues where it would be one issue, it would be handled not exactly the way you want it to be handled, which would then lead to another issue, which would then lead to another issue. And they were all very minor things where it's like soreness, but he's still throwing 99 in games. Like it's not like it's a problem. And then it, other things just kept begetting other things. And now his body's not looking great, but the stuff is still really firm. And that makes you wonder, is this going to go more down like a Sandy Alcantara path where it's still dirty stuff and he can start, but the performance isn't great? Or is it going to go down, um, you know, a immediate impact street in the big leagues like the stuff is just overwhelming? I'm thinking it's mm-hmm. more of a Sandy Alcantara. It may take a little bit of time for this to go exactly the way you want it to. Uh, I mean, you were back there and I was not, but I think I I'm not quite there yet. But yeah, I think I understand where you're coming from. I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, I don't know if that means we move him. I mean, what do we have? Minutes left? Let's look at low sixty. This, I think this is still a no doubt. Look at how good his shit is. And like how easy it's one of those Neftali Phillies, like how does he throw that hard and look like he's playing catch? Yeah. Which right, but it's Neftali. not as if Neftali. Yeah, I was gonna say that's also not a great indicator. Devin Williams threw three pitches. Yep. So whatever. Ninety seven on the fastball, eighty five, eighty six. Should he be a forty? Uh probably. I don't know. I thought it was okay. about an average slider and he was at ninety seven and it didn't look crazy out of control. I think we when what when he was like ninety or twenty. He's still bad. Yeah, I didn't pull up his numbers. I just saw the three pitches. But when he was, like, 20 and we had him rated pretty high, I think it was, like, you know, 94, 97 with, like, an above-average slider. Like, it seems like he's, you know, reasonably in that area again. Okay. Do you – I'm going to stick him – you should probably take him ahead of Bobby Wall, right? Similar kind of guy. But I still take, like, Clayton Andrews, who's 22 and, like, has, you know, options and all that kind of stuff. Lun Zhao, the, he's not 18 yet, the Chinese kid who – Throws in like the low to mid 90s with a 3,000 RPM curveball. Like I'm still taking those guys ahead of Devin Williams. So yep, that's fine. I'm uh, behind Tyler Taylor. Next up, Adrian Morejon only threw nine pitches. I had him 95 to 98. Yep, Stackhouse had him 96 to 98. Uh, the curveball I had 81, 83 was a 55, and then I didn't get a changeup in the game, which looks like yep, that's also what they got. So, I mean, it was good to see him throw hard, but it sounds like you've seen him throw that hard with that breaking ball before, so it's not hugely surprising. Mostly when I see him, he's 3-6 to six, uh, with, you know, based on the high speed, poor spin efficiency. It's more of a sinker. Uh, and both secondaries are above. The changeup for me is plus. The breaking ball for me is average to above. Command was much better early in his pro career than it was when I saw him this spring has had a bunch of shoulder stuff we slid him down um, because of all the injury stuff like we just 45 to be 45 or 45 plus in one of the two um, so yeah like I spoke with a scout who saw him this spring who thinks he's a reliever uh, so like yeah I'm not super crazy here but his stuff is his stuff is quite good we have more on 13th in the system 45 plus okay I think that's correct uh, ben Bowden was the next to last pitcher. I had him one to four. Had the changeup about average, curveball about average. He, I believe, was the one that got hit around a little bit and gave up the lead. Um, yeah, he threw twenty five yes. pitches, and yeah, it it was fine. I don't know. He, he's a lefty reliever with a changeup. He's a forty. Yeah, and it's three pitches, and he's shown you above stuff before, but it plays a little more like average now. 
Uh, and then the last up was Luis Patino, which that was pretty oh impressive. <laughs> he was 96 to 99 uh, with plus cut at times. He threw a couple change-ups that I thought were pretty good uh, at 89. And then the sliders were about plus at 84 to 89, um, which I think is pretty much what we had, like up to 99 plus slider change-up somewhere in the five area. Like that's basically what we had, right? Mm-hmm. So not, like, shocking, but it's also, nope. like, a little, uh, not little, but ball energy just exploding at you and also doing it with some effort but throwing strikes. And uh, the, the Padres, there were, there were two contingents sitting around me. There was the Padres contingent who the game ended right as I walked past them and, more, and uh, Patino had just finished. And one of them looked at me and said, so your first time seeing Patino? And I go, yeah, and he's like, pretty good, right? <laughs> and then another one said, you should move that guy up. And I was like, I think we have him pretty high. And he was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's about the right spot. Uh, and then I was also sitting behind the Texas contingency, which got really excited when Sam Huff hit that homer. I sat with a family of four who, hi guys. <laughs> <laughs> are they listeners? They're very nice. Very nice family from Minnesota. Uh, all right. Well, that is all for this week. We are back from our post-draft uh, podcast slumber. Uh, we may be back with uh, some more podcast adventures with more details coming soon. Bye, everybody. Oh my god.